0: Anyway, we're in Revelation, and we're all the way to chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation. But what I'd like to do is a, a quick review and uh, try and remind ourselves of where we've been and where we're going. Mark and I have been trying to put together a chart and um, so, so that everybody could understand this. And Mark, my PowerPoint, you know that nice chart I gave? I don't know what happened. But anyway... Uh, we're going to do this verbally and still try and do it with a visual at some point. But Revelation is really divided into two parts, and uh, that distinction comes in verse 19, where the where John says, therefore, um, God says to John, therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And so, what we have, the things that are the letters to the seven churches. And a lot of times uh, that section is is all that people study in Revelation. But there was some powerful information there. Um, Anybody remember any of the messages, uh, any of the words that came from those seven churches? What was it that we were to uh, consider as far as those things were concerned? Help me. Ephesus Ephesus left their first love. You can't do that. Anyone else? Don't let the world influence how you live and think. Be an overcomer. Don't be lukewarm. And who taught that message? Who had, who had Laodicea? Mark? And you said that there were, you kind of gave a really neat info, uh, bit of information about what that hot and cold thing was all about. Can you quickly review that for us? you even remember? Good. And, and, and God says, "No, we can't be that way. We cannot be that way. We've got to be those those people who have that passion and and that deep love for the Lord Jesus Barb uh, where's Barb Sunday school? Barb had a, a prayer request a few weeks ago that that we' be a church that have that passion, that fire and and she's right, and we need to continually remind ourselves of of the responsibility we have. That's the way it is right now. That's the things that are. What about those things which are to come? And uh, actually, what you get in in chapters 4 and 5 is a peek into heaven itself. And who do you see when you peek into heaven in chapter 4? Anybody? See the throne. The one who sits on the throne is an awesome power. And uh, in chapter 5 there's a a scroll that's presented. And they're looking around around for someone who is worthy to read the scroll. And John says, I want to know what's on there. I have to know what's on that scroll. And he begins to weep because there's nobody worthy. And then someone taps him on the shoulder and says, whoa, hang on there. We found somebody. And it's the lion of the tribe of Judah.
1: Whoa, the
0: lion. The power, the majesty, the king of the jungle. And he turns and looks and he sees what? He sees a lamb, a little bitty lamb. And it's been killed, it's been slain, its blood has been shed. And he sees our Savior, Jesus, the great Messiah who was sacrificed for your sins, for my sins. And He's the one who's worthy in heaven. Bursts into praise. And, and, and the song is just outrageously wonderful. And they magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Sing praises to Him. During our worship service this morning, we were one of the songs that we were singing um, talked about what a privilege it is to be those among those who right now bow their knee. Because one day, every tongue will confess that He's Lord. One day, every knee will bow. But there's a special blessing for us because Christ has saved us and we right now can praise Him. Awesome. Wonderful privilege. Do you know what? You're looking at someone who hardly ever has his knees worn out. Well, that's not true because I had a replacement, but anyway, I mean, on my pants, the, the, the knees of my pants don't get worn out much. You know why? Because I resist that bowing. I resist that. I find rebellion in my heart. And the scripture says, "I hate." Rebellion. And that rebellion is despicable, disgusting, unpleasing. Is that a word? Displeasing to God. And I know a couple other rebels too. Yeah, they go to my church. They fellowship with me. And I have to tell you, We cannot be rebellious people. We need to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. Yes, in prayer, but even more so in our hearts, in our spirits, in our inner person that says, I will yield to you, holy God. Now, you know, if if you're a visitor here this morning, you can run out and, and tell the whole world that at Great Adventure all they have is a bunch of rebels there but um, don't say it too loud because there's some at your church too. In fact, when you go through the door, <laughs> you kind of mess it up for everybody else. We have that rebellious streak that just, well, it's more than disgusting to God. He says, I hate it. Brothers and sisters, we need to challenge each other that we have the privilege of yielding to the King of Kings, of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So often in my prayer life, I'm saying, oh, Lord, do this, Lord, do that, and I'm begging Him for help. And you know what I hear? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you to do? Wouldn't it be nice if that were written for somebody else? But if there's a shred of rebellion in your heart, we have to learn that we must bow the knee, we must submit to Him, and and I'm, it's scaring me to even preach this right now, because you know what happens after you teach somebody else, don't you? You get the big test yourself, and I dread this next week. But it's a message I believe from God, and we've got to yield. We've got to understand that we are those people who have been saved from our sin. We've been saved from our rebellion. And Romans 6 says, well, then how can we continue to walk therein? God forbid that we should walk in that. Okay? Wow. Some powerful stuff coming out of here. And then after you have the view of the Lamb and every knee bowing to Him, you have the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. And, and uh, man, let me just run through those really quickly. The scroll talks about cold war and then open war. And the third seal had to do with famine. And the fourth seal had to do with death. And the fifth seal had to do with martyrdom. And the sixth, sixth seal was about physical disturbances in the sun and the moon and here on earth, enormous earthquakes. And then the seventh seal is opened and the seven trumpets come dumping out. And so just when you think, ah, we finally reached the end, no, it opens up a whole new bunch of, of, of penalties and destruction on the earth. So much so that uh, the first trumpet, one-third of the earth is burned. One-third of the earth burned. Uh, one-third of the sea creatures die in the second. Uh, one-third of the fresh water is poisoned in the third. In the fourth, a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. What do they do? The fifth trumpet, locusts torment with a horrible sting, but they don't kill. And in the seventh, uh, sorry, in the, that's the fifth. In the sixth, a third of mankind is killed. And then the seventh judgment is that seven bowls of judgment are poured out. And it just keeps happening, and, and, and it's, it's, it's incredible. And the seven, seven bowls, J.P. went over them last week. The first one, terrible sores, ulcer kind of sores develop. The second one, the sea is turned to blood. The third one, fresh water is turned to blood. Fourth one, this one just really got me, the scorching sun so that there's a, <coughs> an outrageous sunburn on every individual. And then five, darkness. And then six, the Euphrates dried up in preparation for the armies of the east. And in number bowl number seven, there was widespread destruction. Now, why do we study these? Why do we take time to go through the book of Revelation? Well, number one, The book itself promises that for those who study and take heed to this book, there's blessing. There's blessing. So as hard as it is to understand and as rough as it is to go through and hear all of this stuff, you need to understand that it's blessing from God to do this. But there's another aspect. God gives us this peek into the future so that we can understand what awaits those who who refuse to accept Christ as Savior. Think about that. You have family members that will experience these things because they've not yet trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe it's because there's that rebellion in their heart. Maybe it's because they haven't heard clearly. Whatever the reason, we've been given a responsibility to go and teach this message to lost souls. How did we do this past week? What was our evangelism like as a a collective body? You know, we don't do head counting. We don't... Take, keep score and say, Jason, you got three points this week and, and Benji, you, you, you got two. And, uh, sorry, Zach, uh, you, know, you didn't do much this week. We don't do that. I just did it, but I was making it up, okay? Um, but we need to evaluate, don't we? Because not only is my neighbor among these who have not yet trusted Christ, I have family members who have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus as Savior. And to think of them experiencing those things is beyond my ability to cope. I just have to stop and say, no, I can't go there. Can you imagine what it will be like six years in if the Lord Jesus came tomorrow? Six years from now, somebody picking up my Bible, where is it? Oh, yeah, I get, Aaron's got it. Someone picking up my Bible and turning to Revelation and saying, wow, we're we're uh, we've experienced these things. I didn't believe that stuff before, but I'm seeing it happen. And then turn the page and see what lies ahead. Can you imagine what that will be like? Oh, ooh. buy up all the sunblock you can, because there's a scorching radiation coming. And then to go through it one by one, having those judgments poured out against sin. Unbelievable! So it's, it's important for us to study, to know what lies ahead and that the offer of salvation is still available and we can proclaim it and we can beg people. Paul says, I'm begging you in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're an ambassador. You go now. You send the message of reconciliation. We need to understand what lies ahead. But there's a second thing. And this just kind of rolled over my soul as I've been meeting with, uh, with Aaron and, and Jason and a few other guys. And we've been, we've been contemplating the cross of Christ. And uh, Aaron texted me uh, a few weeks ago and said to think that Jesus, for all of eternity, knew what, lie, what lay before Him at the cross. And as God <clears throat> understood the, the, the weight of the sin that would be put on His shoulders. In fact, it was exciting this morning that the Lord Supper to sing again that song. It was my sin that nailed Him there. And He stayed there until it was accomplished. But you know what? And and I I don't know that I can demonstrate this 100%, but it seems to me that the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls were the kind of thing that was poured out on Jesus as He hung there on the cross. He suffered the horrible wrath of God. as He paid for my sin. It's important to study Revelation. It's important to know what those judgments were all about because it gives us an understanding of what Christ has done already for us in absorbing the wrath of God and Himself, paying my price for sin. The wage of sin is death. Eternal separation from Almighty God. The second death, as Romans calls it. And He has absorbed all of that in Himself as He hung on the cross. It's good to study Revelation. We haven't gotten there yet, but there's a little bit more. In Revelation, there's a time when Christ calls for His bride and she comes out of the earth. There's seven years of tribulation that follow. There's two witnesses that I think it's about halfway through the tribulation at about three and a half years, but I can't say that definitely because it's not given to us exactly when. But two witnesses, men in the spirit of Elijah, men in the spirit of Moses, who come and preach to these lost souls, to these people who have hated God and remind them of God's judgment. And the Scripture says, and they still don't repent. Wow. Wouldn't it be nice if we could say, oh, I can't understand that? I'm going back to what I was talking about as far as rebellion. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there are those times in our life when we still resist the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a dumb thing to do. It really is dumb. Because the Holy Spirit could squash you like a tomato. Isn't that right? Why do we try and resist and yet we find it there in the flesh? And my heart says, Brothers and sisters, I need your help. I need your prayer. I need your constant reminder of the need there is in my life to yield to the Lord Jesus and to say yes when His his Word speaks to my heart. Well, those two witnesses preach... They're killed, they come back to life, and they're taken up to heaven. And that brings us to another pause in the book of Revelation because we can't really place on a timeline where chapters 17 and 18 fit in. But we have to understand that that this is all part of God's judgment and God's plan to purify the world. And it has to do with what we understand is Babylon. Babylon. Where is Babylon located? Anybody? Be, be specific. Where? In Iraq. It's in Iraq. In between, the Tigris and Euphrates. between the Tigris-Euphrates rivers. Is there a city there now? No. Well, it just got bombed out of existence. If it was. But there's there's a a place where the center of opposition against God has been identified. You first hear of it in Genesis where man says, I'm going to build a tower. Tower of what? The Tower of Babylon really is probably what it is. And in that they're saying... We're the ones that are going to become exalted above God. And you know where that's coming from. That's coming from the heart of, of Satan who had that same desire. I will be like the Most High. I will be exalted. I will be worshipped. And the whole concept of, of Babylon has been seen all throughout Scripture as rebellion against God. In Revelation 17, you see two aspects. The first is the religious Babylon. Religious Babylon where Satan is, is seeking to be worshipped and we see it lived out in religious Babylon. I'm going to ask uh, Aaron to read a few verses from chapter 17. Listen carefully as the Word of God is read, the most important message you'll hear all morning. Verses 1 through 7, please, Aaron.
1: And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, a Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the
0: Now, isn't it good that he's going to tell us about this mystery? Because as I read this, I go, what in the world is that all about? I don't really get it. But there's some things in there that I'm able to pick out. One of them is that here is a woman who represents all the immorality of the world today. And that's considerable. Here's a woman who has a gold cup full of, of blasphemous, I'm sorry, here's a woman who is adorned with blasphemous names. Blasphemous names. Names that blaspheme a holy God. She has a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Here's a woman that is drunk with the blood of the saints and those who are witnesses of Jesus. This is a horrible description of someone who is so opposed to God. And really what it comes down to is that there is a a religious system in the world today that is in opposition to God, headed by Satan himself, um, empowered by demons, unseen forces in the the heavenly places, and lived out in the lives of those who are in rebellion uh, against God. Evil stuff. Read the next section, will you? 8 through 14. Now that was about as clear as mud, wasn't it? You got it too, huh? Well, the thing that I think we should pull out of here is is that there was a beast that you saw who was, who is not, and is about to come. That's a description given of, of someone else in Scripture. That's a description of Jesus. He was. He died. He rose again. And here is a false Christ who is rising up and living out the very essence of of, of who Jesus is. Here is a beast, a demonic force who is, who is not, and who is to come. And you see the the horrible deception of Satan. You see that there is a, a, an incredible uh, similarity to who Jesus is. And people fall for this Messiah. People follow this Messiah. What does it all mean? Well, it's kind of neat, because in the next several verses, He's going to tell them, He's going to tell us, what it means. So again, Aaron, will you? Wow, wow. See, in verse 14, we're told that this big picture is all part of a plan where a war is going to be waged against the Lamb of God. And the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And I'm going to be with Him. You're going to be with Him. If you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are part of the body of Christ, you're part of the bride of Christ, He will snatch us from this scene. There will be a time of terrible tribulation. And then He's coming back. And this time, watch out. First time He came, we used to sing this one, um, Out from the grave He rose. With grace and faithfulness, I think it was. Does that sound right? Our God reigns. Somebody sing it for me. <coughs> Kevin? <coughs> Sorry. Okay. Out from the tomb he rose with grace and, and, and what? Grace and majesty. That's it. You know, I often said, if I'd have been treated like Jesus was and put in that grave, and when I got out, it wouldn't be grace and majesty that you would experience. The fact is, he's coming back, and it won't be with grace, and it won't be—it'll be with majesty, but it will be horrible, and he will wage war. Verse 15 tells us what the harlots are—they're the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. 16 talks about those ten horns, and and it says that their job is to rise up and kill the religious system this religious Babylon. And it's God who put it in their hearts to do such a thing in verse 17. He tells us, the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, that Babylon that we were talking about. The other aspect is that there's a commercial Babylon and that's opened up to us in chapter 18. And we're going to do this very quickly. If you would read, Aaron, um, just a few verses here. In 18, 1 through through, uh, 3 for now, And then there's a little phrase. Verse 9, I'm sorry. Uh, 19, read 19. I'm sorry. I, hold it. Somehow I missed. Well, I'm sorry. Let me read. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and live sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargos anymore. Uh, verse 19. Now, how did that get in there? Go ahead, Aaron. 19. And Twenty and they threw dust on their heads and were crying out,
1: weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, great city in which all ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles
0: and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And then, verse twenty one. And the message that comes to us is this. Come out from from her, my people. That's the message that's going to be given at that time, several years from now, when this judgment is unleashed. But it's also the message for us today. Those of us who've been called by God's grace cannot, must not, walk in the way that the world is walking. We can't live the way the world lives. We can't experience that rebellion. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Yeah, the message is for those in the future. The message is for us today. It's a solemn one. It's a serious one. And as believers, we need to stop and say, Lord, I need You, I need Your strength, I need Your wisdom, I need Your help because I'm incapable of living a life that pleases You. I must have Your Holy Spirit's power within me. We need to support each other in this. We need to be strong for each other. We need to encourage one another in the power of God's Holy Spirit to live lives that are separate, that are different than the way the world walks. Come out. Come out. Father, we pray that we'll take seriously the message. We see such horrible things ahead. We see the utter destruction and the wrath of God poured out in a powerful way. And while we'll never experience the wrath of God because Jesus has experienced it for us, Lord, there's still struggles in our lives, struggles with the world and the flesh and the devil. And our prayer is that we would be uh, people who are sanctified, who will be uh, set apart, who are made holy, and that we would live holy lives. God, help us, I pray. In living those holy lives, I pray that the love of Christ will be seen and exemplified in all that we do. I pray, Father, that our neighbors and our family and our friends will, will see the, the love of Christ lived out in our lives in a holy way and be attracted to this one, this marvelous Savior, before it's forever too late. Please, God, use us. I pray that souls will get saved this week as a result of our testimony. I pray that you'll empower us as a church to live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that rise above the scum of the earth, that we would come out and be separate, be a holy people for your name's sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.